near-death experience of Nancy Rhines. Anthony Chan Productions. I'm Nancy Ryans. I'm a near-death experiencer. I started off my adult life really as a scientist. I was a geologist and an archaeologist for a long, long time, also a science writer. I would say that I was a complete atheist by that point and really didn't believe in anything spiritual, anything religious. But at the time I was in my mid-40s, a lot of stuff in my life had changed and I was unhappy. Maybe it was just that time of life where I might have been a little bit more open to what might be going on in the, you know, in the world around us that we don't see. But I was becoming really dissatisfied with being an atheist. I was terrified of the subject of death. Didn't want to talk about it. Didn't want to have anything to do with it. It scared me. So the accident itself happened in January of 2014. About two months before that, I kept having this feeling that something was about to shift in my life. And I don't know why or where that was coming from. I don't know why I was hearing that at the time. And I honestly, I thought, well, maybe I'm just going to get a new job. And in December, which would have been about a month before the accident, I started having very unusual dreams, really powerful. Never experienced anything like this before. I started dreaming of just being swarmed by flocks of butterflies. It seemed like thousands of butterflies around me, but I just kind of filed it away in the back of my brain and let it go. But I kept having the dreams for the next three weeks up until the time of the accident. So the accident happened on January 3rd of 2014, and I was out riding a bike. It was dry, there was no snow anywhere. So I decided just to do some errands around town, but had a feeling I really should just not do this today. There was almost like that little voice that said, just put your bike away, go back in your house and just chill. But my brain overrode that. And I just decided, well, I need to do these errands. So I'm just going to go out. So I just started riding in about a half a mile from my house. So I didn't, I hadn't gone very far. I entered a roundabout or a traffic circle that had just been installed. So at that time, you know, a lot of people who were driving cars didn't know how to navigate these things. And the way that that one was designed, it really narrowed down a lot. So there was really nowhere for me as a cyclist to really get out of the way. Um, so I just took the whole lane, which is what we're supposed to do. And I noticed there was a road that was coming in kind of from my right hand side. And I noticed two vehicles kind of coming in this way and they were supposed to stop. You know, I saw that they looked like they were slowing down. So I, I kept biking, but that first vehicle, as she came up to where I was in the circle, I noticed at the last minute that she wasn't slowing down. She actually, seemed to me to be accelerating a little bit and that freaked me out because i had nowhere to go there was a there was a man in a in a car that was behind me and i thought well if i slam on my own brakes 
he's going to hit me. But she was coming in at such a speed that I didn't know if I could avoid a collision. It turns out I couldn't. She ran right through it and hit me on my right side with her SUV. It was like a Chevy Tahoe, a very large SUV. And I could feel the impact like right here on my rib cage. And somehow I, I did, it did some kind of a flip from my bike to the hood of her vehicle. I was grabbing onto the hood as much as I could, staring at her as she's driving. She didn't see me. And what I saw when I looked in through the, the windshield at her, she was texting. She had her hands on the steering wheel, but the phone right up on top, looking at the phone and, and manipulating the phone while she was trying to drive. And she just kept going. I tried desperately to hang on to something on the hood of her vehicle and I couldn't. I fell off the front and hit the pavement with my left side um, and my shoulder hit first and then my, my rib cage and my hip. You know, I could hear something pop in my shoulder. Found out later that was my collarbone. I could start to feel a little bit of pain, not much. I wasn't feeling much pain at that point. But when I hit the pavement, all of a sudden my consciousness split and I was in my body, but I was outside of it too. And I didn't know what to do. Like I had never heard of anybody experiencing this ever before, but my consciousness that was in my body was almost like what I would call, you know, that survival instinct, the animal instinct to survive. And I was really about staying alive. That part of me was very afraid and just trying to figure out how to not get run over, you know, by her, by her vehicle. Um, the other part of me went off to kind of a point about 50 to 75 feet away from the accident. And that part of me was very unusual. I didn't know that part of me existed at that time, but it was very calm and very, very loving and compassionate toward the part of me that was experiencing all of this trauma. And that higher part of myself was telling me, it's okay, don't worry, this is, this is supposed to happen, but everything is gonna be okay. And I was having this almost battle between the two parts of myself, like, no, this isn't okay. I'm in tons of pain, this is scary. But that other part of me was very insistent that everything was gonna be fine. And in my body, I was again focused on just remaining alive and somehow grabbed the axle of that woman's vehicle as she's passing over me. Since she was in a turn, I knew that if I stayed where I was, her back wheels would run over me. So I grabbed onto something under her vehicle. It turned out it was the axle. And also part of my backpack, I had a bicycling backpack on that had a strap right across here that that chest strap caught on something i don't know what it caught on but it caught on something and so she was dragging me along underneath of her vehicle for the estimate is an additional 60 75 feet which to me it felt like forever the only thing that stopped her was the man who was driving the the toyota pickup truck behind her he had from his vantage point he saw what had happened and he drove around the traffic circle in the opposite direction to block her. 
and that's what finally stopped her. And my initial instinct was really to try to get up and run away. You know, that animal instinct kind of kicked in. So I started to move around. I don't know how I shimmied out without killing myself at that point because my there was so much trauma to my neck and spine. It's, it amazes me that I was able to do this. But as soon as I got out from underneath, a woman ran up and put her hands on my shoulder, just very gently um, put her hands on my shoulders to keep me from moving. She said, don't, don't move. I need you to stay where you are. I'm a trauma nurse and I'll be here with you. My name's Annie and I'll stay with you through this whole thing, but I need you just not to move. And if she hadn't done that, I probably, it's, it's just so moving, but I probably wouldn't have made it because my instinct was to get up. Now I know how, how traumatized my ne my neck was really badly broken. And if I had gotten up, my neck would have in immediately snapped. So she really kept me alive. She looked to me to be around 30 years old, long blonde pulled hair back in a ponytail, but she did appear like out of nowhere. We could never figure out what vehicle she was driving. There was only one other person at the scene who spoke with her, and that was the, one of the police officers that came in who was called into the scene. And I spoke with him later. He said, well, she wouldn't tell me who she was. And in fact, right after he spoke with her, she just kind of disappeared. She basically, you know, said goodbye to me and then took off. We don't know what vehicle she was in and the Boulder District Attorney's Office, they wanted to find her. And they looked for, I think it was six months at all of the local hospitals, but could not find any nurse that fit this description. So I'll leave it, you know, I'll leave it to the viewers to decide. Um, I was at first just thinking she was a nurse who just didn't want to be found out. Now I'm not so sure. So I don't, I don't know whether she was a spiritual angel or just a human angel who didn't want to be identified. You know, I'm totally cool with that either way. And the paramedics came very quickly. They stabilized me on a backboard. And with that, the pain was so intense that those two like separate parts of my consciousness came back together. I couldn't maintain that separateness. They just slammed right back together in my body. I was brought to the hospital. That's where they did all the scans and established that I had well over a hundred different fractures in my body in different places. Most of them in my back and my neck. My lower back was essentially in pieces. It was so badly damaged that if I had gotten up, my, my entire spine would have just collapsed in on itself. And they scheduled me for surgery the following Monday, which was three days away but they weren't guaranteeing that I'd be able to walk. It was kind of up in the air as to whether they'd be able to put everything back together for me. And I had this horrible fear that I was gonna die. So they rolled me into the operating room and that's when they gave me the anesthetic and, the, and all the other stuff that they were going to put me under with. But when the general anesthesia kind of took me under, Instead of drifting off to this gray state, when I had surgery before, it wasn't dreaming, 
it was really just like gray fog. That's what being under general anesthetic felt like for me. Well, this time I woke up and I thought, wait a minute, I'm not supposed to wake up here. And I woke up and I was standing up and it, it surprised me. I'm looking around like this and there's this bright, bright white light all around me. And I noticed like rolling hills off in the distance and this, the sky is blue, but it's not like sky blue here. It was almost a metallic or pearly blue, but it was also very bright, but not blinding bright, just, just bright white. And I was standing in a meadow of grasses and beautiful flowers. I'm looking around like this thinking, well, this isn't normal. <laughs> this isn't what surgery is normally like, at least for me but it was exceedingly lucid. It didn't feel like a hallucination to me. Several years before this, I had been given a medication that caused me to hallucinate. So I understand what hallucinations were like. And what I was experiencing now wasn't like that at all. It felt like I was there. It was more real almost than here. So I was thinking about that. I don't know for how long, Time was immaterial, but I started to just think about what was going on. And I began to wonder, wow, I wonder if I died on the operating table. And I contemplated that for a while and kept wondering about, wow, I wonder if, if, I wonder if I'm dead. Well, if I'm dead, how come I'm not seeing my deceased relatives? You know, how come my dad isn't here or my sister isn't here? And it dawned on me that, wait a minute, if I'm really dead, in Catholic grade school, I learned that atheists went to hell. That's what they taught. And so I thought, well, wait a minute, why am I here? Shouldn't I be in a much hotter place than this? If I'm, because I didn't believe in any of this. I'm looking around thinking, I don't believe in this. Why am I here? And then surprisingly, there was an answer from outside, and which really shocked me. I didn't, I didn't know that anybody else was with me in whatever this was. So I'm, I get this answer and the answer was just, it was like it was all around me. And it was a voice that was very strong, but not loud, not really loud, but just really strong. And the voice said, welcome home. This is your home. You know, you're a part of us, you're a part of this. You know, you're a part of me, welcome home. And I just, lost it okay I almost lose it like that every time I talk I tell people about this because it was just so moving and it was so welcoming and I'd never felt in my entire life I'd never felt that welcomed anywhere not as much as I was being welcomed wherever this was that I was in now and I could feel waves of peace coming like from outside of me coming through me I guess probably trying to keep me calm and I felt waves of love, just pure unconditional love coming from somewhere else. And I'd never felt anything like that before, ever. And I didn't know what that was all about, but I, I immediately knew that wherever I was, was home, that that place we call Earth wasn't my real home, that this was. And while it was a form of reality, it wasn't my ultimate reality, that, that wherever it was that I was now, that was real. 
I sat with that for a while, like wondering what was going to happen and just enjoying being in this place. I still didn't know what was going on. And I was expecting at some point that either a, a deceased relative would come to claim me and take me somewhere else or something would happen. It turns out that there was a figure that came up to me for, kind of from off to the side. It, she seemed to just come out of nowhere. And she came up to me and she gave me a big welcoming embrace of just love and told me that she was going to be my teacher, that she would help me, you know, learn what I needed to learn in order to continue my life on earth and make it one that I would be proud to live. And I, fi I kind of fixated on that. I said, wait a minute, you're going to send me back there? I don't want to go back there. And she said, well, you've already agreed to go back. And I, I told her, I don't remember that. I don't agree to it now. I don't remember agreeing to going back there. She said, well, you agreed to do that before you were born. But my human self, Nancy, the atheist that I had just been, had never heard of this before. So I, I challenged her and I said, well, I don't remember agreeing to anything before I was born. So kind of in the air in front of me, it's very weird how, how this, this happened, but in the air in front of me, she showed me the time before I was born when I was agreeing to some of the things that I wanted to do and experience while I was in this life of Nancy. And one of the agreements that I had made was I would very likely turn away from spirituality or religion and be that way for quite a while. But I had three different points along that path where I had an opportunity to turn back and live a more spiritually connected life. The first time was when I was a teenager, that had come and gone. The second time was when my father died. And there were some things that happened during the time that he passed away. And that was really the point where I was supposed to make the transition back to a more spiritually connected life. And I did it. I blew right past it. The things that I experienced when he died, I put them off to the side of my mind. I didn't want to deal with it. And so then the last thing I agreed to was, well, if I, if I missed the first station and, and didn't turn to become a more spiritual person then, and if I missed the second point, then the third point would be the big moment, the accident, and I would have this experience and be sent back. And as soon as I saw this, basically in the air in front of me, all the memories flooded back. And I remember being in the presence of all of my spiritual teachers. And I guess you would call it the presence of the divine was also there. And, and I agreed to these things. It's not like a contract, like where if you break it, you're going to be sued or anything, but it's really kind of a guidepost as to how you want to live your life. And so if you don't do things, it's, it's okay. You just at some point have to do those things. You know, that's what you want to learn. At some point, you're going to need to learn it, whether it's in this lifetime or some other way. So I saw all that and realized, well, okay, I guess I do have to go back because I agreed to go back.
But in my mind, I still wanted to stay here. I didn't want to go back. I didn't want to come back here. Even with all of my family, my daughter, I know how hard that sounds. The only people that really understand that when I say that is people that have been there. I knew my daughter would be okay. I knew my sisters would be okay. I knew all my family would be okay. It would be hard for them at first, but, but it would be okay. So I really wanted to stay there. I told my teacher, my spiritual teacher who was there with me, I said, okay, go ahead and, and teach me what you need to teach me. And then we'll talk. <laughs> so we spent what seems like, you know, it's hard to put it into time frame here. On the operating table, I had flatlined. My heart stopped, my breathing stopped, my pulse went to zero for about right around two minutes. But it felt like the amount of things that I learned would take two or three or maybe more months of earth time to get all of that learning in. So I went on a journey. She took me to all of many, many different places in what at first I thought was a spiritual realm that everybody saw, what it turns out that each person, when, they, when their soul finally crosses over, whether it's just temporary like me or it's the final time, you're in sort of a, a holding place or a, a decompression place for a while, a place where you can rest and recharge and kind of think about what happened in your life. So I was there and they, what's done is it's, it looks like a place that's comfortable for you. So for me, what I was surrounded with was nature, um, mountains and trees and flowers and, you know, being outdoors. So that's what I experienced. And so she took me to many, many different places and taught me different things along the way. Teachings about love and gratitude and our connection to each other. That's really what formed the core of the rest of my time there. And even though I knew that this wasn't physical reality that I was in, it felt more real. It didn't feel like a dream. But it was different than physical reality. Like I could interact with the things around me, which we can't, we can't do the same thing here. So I could touch, let's say a flower and there would be energy moving up through that flower and it would be sparkling and like wait a minute that's not you know that's not earth earth isn't like that i could touch a tree and the same thing would happen with the tree but there was a point though at which we were walking through a meadow i think and i happened to just i was curious the scientist kind of came out at me i looked behind me i was beginning to wonder what was going on. So I looked behind me just a little bit and I saw that everything behind me as I walked just faded away. So there was no landscape behind me, it was just fog. And I asked my teacher about this. I said, what, what's going on? This feels really real, but it's disappearing behind me. Well, she said, this is a construct for you. This isn't ultimately, I hate using the term heaven necessarily, but it's not the ultimate spiritual reality that's out there. This is really just a holding place for you. And it's a place where we draw on what's in your own heart, what you, what you love to make an environment that feels appealing and comfortable for you so that you're calm and, and feel at home. But it is, it does feel 
more real than here. And in fact, it's still hard for me to be here because this doesn't feel, this doesn't feel real. This, this feels like the dream. That feels like being awake. And again, I, it felt that way for, you know, it seemed like a couple of months. So I got used to it. And that was a hard transition to make coming back. So I had what I now know was a life review. My teacher brought me to a pond, a small lake up in the mountains and asked me to touch the surface of the pond. And it, by this time I was really frustrated because I just wanted to be done and go see my dad and my sister who had died before me. So I kind of had a little bit of an attitude with her and said, well, I know what's going to happen if I touch the surface of this pond there's going to be ripples that form. And she said, just do it anyway. So I, I did it anyway and touched the surface. And I kind of sat back and just watched. I watched all the ripples. And on top of these ripples surprised me because I was starting to see almost like little videos or little scenes all across the surface of the pond. Like one video was an incident in my life where I had helped someone. Here is an incident in my early life where I had said something that inadvertently hurt someone. And so I was seeing all these different parts of my life. And when I focused on each of those little videos, I got sucked into it. It was like I was living that experience all over again. And I got to experience it not only from my standpoint, but also from the standpoint of the person I was interacting with. So it was like I got to see both sides of the story at the same time. I got to experience it. So in one of these little incidents, I had said something really nasty to my younger sister. And I think I was in my late teens at this time, and it was very intentional. I really wanted to make her feel bad. And I didn't, at the time, I didn't know how much I had hurt her. Well, in this life review, I got to experience her feelings. I got to see the whole thing happen as if I was her in that moment. And I felt so bad because she felt traumatized by what I said. I didn't have a clue that's what she felt. But when I was, you know, experiencing her reality at that time, I could feel how traumatized she was. So during the life review, I just felt so bad. I felt really ashamed, honestly. I felt horrible. And it started almost like beating myself up mentally. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. That's so horrible. What kind of horrible person am I? And so my teacher stepped in and she said, now wait a minute, this is a tool for your learning. This is not meant to judge you or chastise you or punish you. This is really here for you to learn from. So please don't be ashamed. Don't be, you know, don't beat yourself up about this. Just realize that you need to do better when you go back. And I'm like, okay, well, I really do want to make this better. I want to make this right. The other incident that she, that I want to share is it balanced out. So every time I experienced something that I did negative, I also got to experience a time when I did something that helped someone else, just so that would balance out. And one of them, which I like to talk about, is just helping a clerk at a grocery store one Christmas. 
Um, it was up near Boulder, Colorado, and she was stressed out. It was the end of a really long day. And the, the people in line ahead of me checking out were not very nice to her. They were actually quite nasty to her. So when I got up and was checking out, I just told her what a great job she was doing. I was so glad that she was there and I wished her well. I wished her a happy holiday. And I didn't realize at the time, to me at the time, it seemed minimal. Like that was a small kindness. But for her, that completely changed the rest of her day. She was buoyant. She went home to her kids and she was happy. Instead of being down and taking, taking out frustrations on her kids, she was happy and they were wrapping presents together as a result of, of that. So they, they spent a really good evening together in part because I helped her kind of get out of that, that little state of negativity that she had gotten by the end of the day. It's just those little acts of kindness that can be so powerful for people. And I learned that in spades during that life review. Really, that was the only thing that I really wanted to come back here to correct. I really wanted to come back here and make up for some of those things that I had messed up, whether it was, you know, intentionally or unintentionally. I wanted to make stuff right with people when I came back. But it really, that for me, that was, that whole experience of the life review was, I would say the most impactful. That was the one thing that made me change as a person in a positive way when I came back, is just knowing how important everything that I say and do is, you know, to other people. So that was really the big catalyst for my change when I came back here. I'd love to be able to, to give that gift to everybody. I know it's, you can't do that here while we're all still alive, but I wish I could because it's so transformative for so many of us. And before I was sent back here, my teacher gave me some predictions about the future. I don't know exactly why she did this. I think it was because she knew I was so skeptical and that I would need little signposts along the way once I came back to know that my experience was real. So she told me about certain things in my own life, basically minor stuff like, you know, breaking up of a relationship I was in, meeting certain people, very specific people, um, not necessarily like romance type stuff, but friends and, and people that I, I would meet along my journey. And then she gave me some, some bigger predictions kind of for the nation and the world that were again, those signposts that I would know that all of this was real. And before I was sent back into my life, my body was so traumatized. My teacher, you know, she wanted to make sure that I guess when I came back that I would heal up. So she kind of worked her little magic on my shoulder here and on my sternum. My sternum was actually had been cracked in the accident and on my rib cage. And this ends up being important a little bit later, which we can talk about once I came back. The other thing at this point that she mentioned, once she did her healing on my, my body, she said, you know, you might want to share this information with other people. Other people could, could potentially benefit from what we're teaching you today. And I thought at first, well, I, you know, I can do that. I can tell my friends and family about it. And she said, well, you might want to, you know, think about different ways that you can 
put it out there to a wider audience because other people might want to hear about it. Then she sent me back, and she sent me back against my will. I really didn't want to come back. I was hoping against all hope that I could stay there. I was really kind of throwing a little bit of a temper tantrum. So when, when I did wake up in the recovery room of the hospital, I woke up literally screaming. I came out of anesthesia yelling at the top of my lungs, and I'm, I'm yelling for the people that I had just left. For me, it felt like I had been torn away from my family, and I was yelling and screaming that I want to go back there, I want to go back there, where are my friends? And of course, the nurses thought I meant the friends that were waiting for me in the waiting room out in front. So they went and got my friends. And I said, no, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the people that I just spent the last two months with. And the nurses were just totally baffled by this. Uh, and I sort of was too, because I didn't really almost recognize what was coming out of my mouth, but I knew it was real at that point. It took me that evening and into the next morning before I really settled into what had just happened. You know, I was in my ICU room and first I didn't want to tell anybody because I was really afraid that my family would think I was crazy, that my coworkers, everybody, I felt everybody would think I was nuts because I'd never heard of anything like this before. So I was bound and determined not to tell a soul. And then one of the hospital chaplains walked in and just said, I, I think you need to talk to me, don't you? Which was really odd because I had not wanted to see a chaplain when I was admitted because I was an atheist. I didn't want any kind of a religious person coming into my room, but I was so glad that she came in. And I started talking a little bit and she said, now, wait a minute. I want you to know that what happened to you is that you died. So she was the first person that really counseled me on what had happened. And she listened to what I had to say. And that helped so much that she just listened. And she said, you know, at the end of my little story, my dear, what you experienced was what we call a near death experience. And it was real. And you're going to have to learn what to do with this now that you've come back. But it took probably two or three months for me to really talk about it openly. There were people in my life that had a hard time with what I had to say, and I haven't heard from them again. They didn't want to hear about it. They thought I was nuts. Some of them were former colleagues, other scientists. Um, some of them were friends who I haven't heard from now in you know, a long time. And that hurt a lot. But I understood it from a different level now. I just know that they weren't prepared to go there with me. So I let those friendships really drift away. But that was really the start of for what for me turned out to be many years long journey of learning how to bring all of that stuff that I learned, all of those concepts into my life here. And I realized maybe about four or five months after the accident, that if I didn't do that, that I was, was really at risk of becoming the old person that I was before. And I did not want that. 
So I started in earnest detailing out all of the stuff that I learned and have been taught. And I just started writing those and writing those. I thought, well, we'll just put this out there on the internet in a blog and people can, can kind of learn about it with me. And that really helped me, I guess, internalize all of those lessons. And it took a long time to really learn the full depth of all of that stuff that she taught me. And it was magical. It completely, completely transformed my life. In way, it's still transforming my life. And it's been now, what, over eight years? But, you know, it took a lot of effort to make that happen. And still to this day, I keep learning more and more and more about myself, about what I'm capable of. Everybody is powerful. Everybody is capable of so much more than they realize. We're loved more than we realize we are. And to me now, death is just not a big deal. It's another transition that we all go through. There's nothing to be afraid of. We're here while we're here to do our thing. And then when, when, when we're, our time is done, we just move on. And I'm not afraid of that anymore. I'll, I'll be here doing my thing until it's my time to go. And then, and then I'll be gone. And, you know, another gift that has been developing is, I don't know if I like to call it psychic or not. People do, but, but to me, it's just learning how to communicate and experience that communication with people who have crossed over. One example was a couple of years ago now, a dear friend of mine passed away. And the morning that she passed away, I was in my kitchen. It hadn't been told yet that she had passed. I didn't know. But the light switch in my kitchen kept going on and off. And it was literally the physical switch. It wasn't just the lights flickering. The physical switch went on and off. And I was the only person in the house. And I thought, wow, that's really, that's really amazing. What is going on? And then a friend called me and told me that my friend Bonnie had died just that morning. And I put it out there, put the question out there. Oh, Bonnie, is that you? Are you here? And the, the switch on the lights flicked a couple of more times. And I think she just came in to say goodbye. That was it. That was the only time that she stopped by and she stopped by just to say hello and goodbye. I'm on my way and see you later. I think that's really all it was. And my older sister has been with me off and on since she died and she passed away about 20 years ago now. Um, but after my accident, I would notice in my house when no one else was there, it was, it was always when my daughter was gone and it was just me in the house. All of a sudden, I would smell this really strong and unpleasant perfume followed up by tobacco smoke, which is odd because I don't smoke. No one in my whole neighborhood smoked. We were all non-smokers, and I didn't know what this was all about. And I would see sometimes when this would happen, it would happen multiple times. So this was a couple times a year at least. Sometimes it was multiple times a month. And I asked my, one of my surviving sisters about it. And she said, well, that's just, our, that's just our older sister, Kathy. She always used to wear this really horrible, cheap perfume and she smoked. You didn't know that she smoked? And I'm like, no, I had no idea. But my, my older sister tried to keep it secret from everybody. She didn't want anybody knowing that she smoked. So I had no idea. And that was her, she liked to drop in and 
I guess just let me know that she was around and kind of keeping tabs on her younger sister. She still showed, she actually showed up in my house about a week ago. So she's still hanging around. I've told her that she doesn't need to be here anymore. She doesn't want to be, but she keeps coming back. So usually when she comes in, I say hello and just let her do her thing for a while. And then she's gone again. And the other part that's been really interesting for me is during my NDE, I had a really very deep and wide communication, not just with my own teacher, but also with, it felt like other spiritual beings were communicating with me through her as well. So it wasn't just her, it was like a chorus of people that were there. So when I came back here, I felt a loss. I wasn't hearing all of my friends anymore. It really hurt. But I was able to start communication again with my teacher. So I could hear her once in a while when I needed it. Usually I would just ask a question of her out loud and then I would get a response in time. It may be immediately, it might be a couple hours later but I was always getting that communication. It wasn't like I was hearing really voices in my head, but that communication was coming in very subtle ways. Somebody might send me an email out of the blue with exactly the information that I needed to know, or something would shift in my life that would bring me the information that I needed. So the communication would be coming in different ways, but I could get a sense almost internally of her communicating with me. It was like an additional level of intuition that I was gaining as a result of communicating with her. I listen to that information when it comes. If I have a question for her, I'll put it out there and wait to see if anything comes back. So my intuitive abilities have grown exponentially since my NDE but not because I didn't have them before. I think everybody has a level of that intuitive knowing, that intuitive sense, that gut level sense, but I discounted it before. But after my NDE, I learned the importance of that intuitive sense. And so I cultivated it, living from the heart, you know, listening to that heart voice that calls out and says, this is where I want to go in my life. This is the decision I want to make. Um, this is how I want to be. I've had to learn to listen to that. I may not always, 100% of the time, do that thing, whatever that heart voice is telling me to do. But I typically know now that if I don't, I better have a really good reason for not following it because 99 times out of 100, that intuitive voice will be correct and that analytical thinking, probably not as correct. So I've learned over time to really listen to that and heed it and, and follow that advice. But some of this stuff is really tough for me to talk about science-wise. I love it, I love talking about it, but I'm a little bit cautious about what I say when I talk about some of these really cutting edge concepts in physics and really beyond physics. But I'm loving this discussion that's coming out kind of in the last year or two about 
this reality that we're in as a simulation because that's what basically all near-death experiencers will tell you we know that when we're when we've gone to the other side of whatever this is we we're home we all almost across the board will say that this that we're in right now isn't ultimate reality and that really got me thinking when i came back because i've started really open my eyes to those weird things that happen there's all these you know television shows about that so i really ascribe to this being a simulation it's reality because while we're in it we're real it's real and and we're here for a very specific reason but ultimately this this 3D reality that we're in isn't everything we you know we're starting to see that not just from a spiritual perspective but scientifically i think string theory predicts 11 different dimensions if i'm correct so 3 plus an extra dimension of time which makes 4 isn't that much but i don't know that we while we're stuck in these 3d bodies can fully wrap our brains around what 8 or 9 or 10 dimensional reality might be like it would be like a shadow on the floor trying to figure out what what all of this reality is around us we're a little bit more than a shadow on the floor because we have consciousness but it's still really challenging for us to grasp that 8th or 9th or 10th dimension that's out there somewhere those dimensions could be such that there is a 10th dimensional being standing right here that i never see because i can't experience that in in the limitations of this body that doesn't mean that they're not there it just means that i don't know how to sense them right now I'm intrigued by some of the ideas that have been put forth in in how that we could see or experience or at least communicate with those other dimensions. I love that type of forward thinking especially among scientists because hearing that people are starting to wonder about that and take steps toward making technology that can cross those barriers is really exciting to me. And so I see this as really a limiting set of reality. It has to be for us to learn what we need to learn. It has to be limited. That doesn't mean that ultimately the consciousness that it was is within us is limited. It is not limited. You know, when we're outside of the confines of these bodies, we're able to travel, we're able to go into those other realities into those other dimensions a lot easier you know from what i've heard from my own teacher the more that we learn about this reality and those other realities the more experience we gain the more we're able to travel and experience those other dimensions but ultimately you know while we're in these bodies what i what i tell people is it's great to think about all that stuff it's great to research all of that stuff because it'll lead us to a more expanded view of what reality is but ultimately we're here right now in these forms and this is the form that's most important for us while we're in it don't ever really forget about this life don't let that distract you from learning how to live your best life she taught me you know it's the spirit 101 it's it's the basic things that we all really should know to live a life here it's really learning how to be a good person 
you know, learning how to be loving, learning how to be kind, learning how to, to just be grateful for what you have. We all know at some level we forget a lot of that when we come in and it, it's so easy to get distracted by, you know, physical reality. We've got so much to deal with, you know, we have kids to raise, we have families, we have jobs, all of these things that we have to do which kind of distract us. But she taught me about ultimately all of us are here to experience love, to learn how to be love in sometimes very difficult situations. So across the board, that's kind of the base level of what each person kind of signs up for coming here. Now each individual person, each soul, has other things that they either want to do or are called to do. I know that's a question for a lot of people is what is their purpose? People are here for different reasons. I can't give anybody a specific answer. For myself, it was obvious, you know, love was one of those things. There were other things that I needed to come here to do to make amends for things I had done in another life. I don't like to use the word karma because that gets misused a lot. The term I like to use is making amends. I wanted to come here into this life to make amends for things I had done. Kind of balance out the scales, if you will, to make up for things that maybe I had messed up before. And I wanted to get it right. I wanted to get it right this time. You know, another reason I came here was to talk about it. This is a part of why I was here, is to talk about this spiritual stuff and help people know that it's okay to talk about it. Whether you're an atheist or not, whether you're a scientist, an artist, a doctor, a nurse, whoever you are, a politician, an actor, an actress, it doesn't matter. We need to be able to talk about these things. And so part of my purpose is really allowing for people to talk about that and not be afraid because so many people experience it. So many people have really unusual and beautiful experiences that they're afraid to talk about because they're afraid people will call them crazy. And I, I want that to be over with. I was a little afraid at first, but, but now I'm really fearless about it. And, and it's because being quiet about it doesn't serve anyone. So that's part of my purpose for being here. Everyone's here for a different reason. And ultimately it's for the learning of that soul, the growth of that soul, or sometimes a person or soul comes in in order to help other people, not necessarily themselves. You know, somebody may only be here for 10 or 20 years, but they may impact their family so greatly that they kind of raise the consciousness of that family. So any of those things are valuable. And it's really kind of going within your own heart to understand why it is that you're here. We've all come here with amazing gifts, but it's also a really tough place to be sometimes. You know, I've been through hard stuff. Um, even since my near-death experience, I've been through, through some pretty hard stuff. And I understand how it can feel like, why am I here, what's my purpose? I get that. You know, I've had that thought in my head a few times in the last few years too. You know, what I tell people is reach out in whatever way that you can. And that's been helpful for me. If you're stuck still and you're feeling stuck, just keep, keep trying to find those places to reach out. Do as much as you can to explore your own self 
and not get bogged down, you know, by what's going on around you. I know some people aren't going to be in the position to do that right now. I totally get that. Um, I'm totally sensitive to that. But if you can, if you're in that position, find something that you want to learn, you know, figure out, is there a hobby that I've been putting off for so long that I really want to dedicate time to? The other thing that I recommend to people, especially those who are super sensitive to what's going on in the world, and there's a lot that's going on, but if watching television news or, or internet video news is hard for you, then read it instead. Don't get the audio and video news coming right into your brain. Pick and choose what you want to read instead of hearing it audibly or watching a video if, if you're sensitive to it. And that alone has helped a lot of people de-stress from some of that. The other thing that you can do is if you can help, help. You know, if there's a way that you can help out someone else, take this time to reach out and help someone else. It doesn't have to be someone across the world, you know, volunteer in your own community. I guarantee you that will make you feel so much better to help someone else. And it gets you out of your own mind. It gets you helping someone else and helping forge a connection with someone. And it really does help you kind of pull out of that. So the afterlife is amazing. This life can be amazing too. I want to finish this life off in as beautiful a way as I can and in as conscious a way as I can. Um, helping other people as much as I can, you know, whether that's writing inspirational nonfiction, whether that's speaking, whether that's writing novels that help lift people's spirits, all of that for me is good. But everybody has something that they have within them that they can draw on during these hard times. And, and it's really up to each individual person to figure out what that is. And we all have spiritual teachers or guides, we could call them, who are there available to us. It's not asking them the questions that's hard. It's listening for the answer that's hard. You know, a lot of people don't quiet their minds enough during the day. So for those people who really want to hear that or experience those teachers are, sometimes it's our departed loved ones, like I talked about my sister, Work on quieting your mind. That doesn't mean you need to be a master at meditation. It just means you have to do, you know, take some opportunity each day to be quiet in your mind. And so I do meditate, but also when I'm at the easel painting, my mind quiets right down. And I just get into this almost a Zen mode when I'm painting. Even though it's hard, even, even though painting is challenging, it still quiets my mind. So some people that I know are gardeners and they love being outside digging in the dirt and that quiets their mind down. So finding those things that can quiet us down, whether it is meditation or something else, will help us kind of interact with those who are always with us in spirit. I mean, they're always there. I don't have the gift of seeing them, other people do, but, but I know that, that they're there. It's like an added layer of intuition or intuitive abilities. So that's why I recommend if people want to experience that more, to just learn how to quiet your mind a little bit and then reach out and ask questions and have conversations with them. Like when my sister shows up, I always say hello to her. I tell her I love her. 
I tell her she doesn't need to keep coming back here if she doesn't want to. Just have those dialogues. Just let them know that you're thinking about them. Say hello to a, a loved one who has passed on. Send a prayer for that loved one. Um, they feel it. They still feel it. They hear those prayers. And they, they feel that love coming from us. So just continue to send that love out.